As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's going on, Token Confessions fam? Hey, listen, I know it seems like we've not been recording podcasts, but we've been actually doing live podcasts on Facebook Live. And so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to get the audio from those videos and those conversations with our guests on here. Now, be mindful that the audio quality is not going to be as good as it normally is, but we're going to do our best to provide great content and great quality um, Uh, conversations and audio for you. Um, thank you guys who are Patreons for supporting us. We're able to do this because of you. Uh, we appreciate our new Patreons that are subscribing to the podcast and supporting this work that Cedric and I feel called to do. Um, so continue to check in, continue to turn your notifications on. You can follow us on Facebook uh, without a profile, just facebook.com backslash token confessions. You should, you should be able to see all of our videos videos there. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. And again, thank you guys for supporting this podcast. All right. All right, sweet. Let's see how many people we got on. We got about 18 people and people have started to trickle in. Oh, let me turn my volume on. There we go. Oh, yeah. If you're watching it on your uh, computer, just make sure your volume's down because it gets crazy. So uh, I think I'm on the right one. Sometimes I get confused about how lives go. Like, is it showing? Because when I go to token, like it's a completely different crowd. And yeah, I it's see a different comments. feed. Because if you start like a watch, watch party, yeah. If you start a watch party on your page, it's like a whole separate group. All right, cool. Which I'm gonna try a, to have both. There's of them. part of me that's like, I need to actually go into the big one, even though I have a watch party started on my page, which I'm gonna do. Because there was a lot going on on the main one that I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Let's start. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? <coughs> Welcome to the podcast. Uh, it took us a little bit to get set up, but we're working it working it out. So, um, hey, listen, make sure you share this conversation because it's highly important and it's I'm actually really excited about tonight because we get to hear from the next generation of, of, of leaders in our community in Charlotte, but also in our country and in the world. And uh, tonight we're going to hear about their experiences. And yeah, so uh, yeah, share. I think it's important that you share this conversation because I think you're going to learn a lot. 
and it's going to really challenge you in a lot of ways. Um, so, Cedric, any anything you got? You anything you want to say before we 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 introduce our guests? Maybe just introduce our guests, and, and then we'll let yeah them yeah. So, um, yeah, we met Kennedy last summer, actually around this time last year, when yeah. uh, Common Hymnal. Uh, oh yeah, in town. Because uh, yeah. you were up at the uh, show over at uh, what is now known as Stable Hand, um, and you approached me and said, "Hey, you know, I recognize you from coming and speaking at Chapel at Charlotte Christian when I was in middle school and whatnot." And we just got to chatting and told you about the podcast. I don't know if you had discovered the podcast yet or told you about the podcast then, but. You started listening. You're like, this is my life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we've we've stayed in touch ever since then. Um, But then when the article hit the Charlotte Observer, um, it was actually I think my wife who who saw it first. And she's like, you got to see this. And I started going on the IG and I was just like, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but still the level of vulnerability in those stories was just you know, it was a lot, it was heavy. Um, and, you know, obviously our whole premise of the show is token confessions. It's our opportunity to give voice to our experiences and our perspective on first and foremost, just being tokenized racially, but also our perspective on um, race and white supremacy. So this is really over the course of now 62 episodes taking the shape of being very much about anti-racism. Um, and it's been a good resource for a lot of our friends. So I'm like, we, I mean, this is local to Charlotte. We got to talk about this. So reached out to Kennedy and he said, yo, I, I got some, I got some people that we could have on as well. So one of the folks he uh, reached out to is Phoebe, who's here with us, class of 2018, a Davidson Wildcat. So, yes, you know, yeah. And uh, I thought it was you know, yesterday when we were exchanging the text, you're like, well, just so you know, I'm not I'm not black. And, you know, I can't necessarily speak to that experience to which, you know, as I told her, like it's a token confessions and you have experiences and you have a story and a perspective that is unique to you and your experience as someone who is from Tokyo um, of being racialized or being the only one. And so absolutely you know just sharing your perspective and your story but we might have some other guests who jump on to join us as well and we'll introduce them if and when uh they join but um i'm gonna defer to to phoebe first tell us a little bit about yourself and then kennedy you tell us a little bit more about yourself as well um yeah just let the people know a little bit about yourself yeah um not from Tokyo. <laughs> I'm from, um, I'm from, okay, well, so this is kind of my entire backstory. It's just pretty. If I was younger, I'd put my foot in my mouth, but I can't get up that high. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, kind of confusing, and this is something that I've really grappled with for my entire life as well. So um, I'm Korean. 
ethnically. Um, Mm -hmm. And my parents grew up in um, Australia. So they immigrated Mm -hmm. to Australia when they were really young. Um, But I was born in um, Central America. I was born in Panama City um, because my grandparents were missionaries and had a Korean church in Panama. Um, So that's where I was born. I only lived there for a few years. And then I moved to Charlotte, actually, when I was around two. And I lived here for a couple of years. But I don't really have any, like, conscious memories from when I lived in Charlotte the first time. Um, And then when I was six, my family relocated to Hong Kong. And I grew up there for um, almost 10 years. And around five years ago, my family moved back to Charlotte. Um, and that was a pretty huge culture shock for me. Um, and I go to Davidson college now, so not far away from Charlotte at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, kind of shifting between a lot of different cultures at once throughout my life, um, which is definitely a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, But I think especially, and I mean, this is token confessions, I feel like the biggest um, issue that I had with moving back to Charlotte and especially going to, I went to Charlotte Christian, yes, (laughs) Um, especially going to Charlotte Christian uh, was kind of how people, especially white people, um, diminished my identity to just Asian because that's what they saw. Even though for me, my culture, my multiple cultures, you know, being from Hong Kong, being Australian, being Panamanian, being Korean, all of those things shaped me. They still shape me. And um, I think I struggled with my identity so much in high school because people were telling me that I'm, I'm just one thing when in my mind, I've always had this unique, colorful background that can't just be pinned down to one really, um, trivial identity Mm. that was beautifully said but just (laughs) painful to hear (laughs) it was like a beautiful tragedy which was the name of a band that i i used to you know follow (laughs) but 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 i totally hear that i totally hear that and we'll we'll get more into that later but kennedy what about you you're a black Um, man right you're a black yeah. man from America, right? You're you're, you're African American, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> my story isn't, I guess, too different. Uh, I didn't uh, tra- traverse as many continents, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So my, I'm a first generation American. My family is from uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, we moved over here in around uh, early to mid '90s. Um, I, I don't know the exact date, but um, I was born. 98, grew up here in Charlotte my whole life. I uh, went to three different schools, graduated from Charlotte Christian. Um, so I think a lot of my story, I'm, I'm at UNC Charlotte right now, trying to you know work on graduating in December, God willing, because I'm, I'm ready to be done. Uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of, you know, I resonated with a lot of what Phoebe was saying because I, I didn't, you look at me and I'm, I'm black, right? And, you know, you uh, get to know me and you realize that, you know, I think some of the things I referenced in the, the article was, you know, these assumptions that people have based off of just looking at somebody. Um, so you're having a conversation with someone and 
you're speaking the same English they speak. And for some reason with me, it's eloquence. And for them, it's just normal. And I'm like, I'm just doing what I was taught. So certain things where um, it is, you're the, you're the whitest black guy I know, or you know, you're an Oreo or things of that nature um, where again, you're just being yourself and people are attributing um, a personality traits, uh, characters, characterizing you based off of the color of your skin. Um, and that was, I mean, a lot of things that I experienced, but ultimately I think um, it was difficult because, you know, when I was a kid, I was fluent in Shona, so I didn't really speak English. Um, when the first time I went over to Zimbabwe, my my mom told tells me I was super excited because I was saying to every, to her like, oh, you know, everybody knows Shona. And I, finally, I was around people. When they saw me, though, they'd start speaking in English and I wouldn't respond. And I didn't know what they were saying. And then it was a shock when they realized, oh, he actually knows Shona. And then, you know, getting back to the States, the second that I got into elementary school, my parents didn't, you know, speak as much Shona around me. So um, because they wanted me to learn English, as a result, I kind of lost uh, the fluency. So, mm -hmm. um, you learn English. And then when I go back to Zimbabwe as an older, as an older kid, and then as an 18 year old, I don't really fit in there because, you know, I'm not really from Zimbabwe. I wasn't born there. And then you're in America and you're trying to explain, oh, I'm not just African-American, I'm Zimbabwean American. Oh, but you're born here. So you're American or, you know, just these explanations of things that I am kind of in the middle, right? By definition, I am African-American, but mm -hmm. it's not the same as what people, because it's a very vague description. It's not the mm -hmm. same as what people think that means here. So uh, it was a lot of kind of being in the middle, observing things from different standpoints, being at a predominantly white school, and not being around a lot of African-American people until college um, and, and trying to just learn a lot of different things, um, trying to find myself who I was and, and be proud of the fact that I am who I am and that I was made in the image of God and that the color of my skin is a part of that. Um, things that I kind of learned as a result from my parents because they were pastors, um, but having that play out and not necessarily be repeated to me in, in the institutions that I was a part of. So um, that, that was very difficult. And I think that's been a lot of where I'm at right now as I'm working in the church. And I think God has, it's, I don't know, sometimes it feels like he's equipped me to be a part of the conversation because I've been in the middle for so long and, been observant and trying to learn as best as I can and it just kind of feels like I've been thrown into the middle in the middle of the fire the past couple of weeks because of course I have all the answers to solve racism in America of course <laughs> right, that's, right. that's what happens when we speak up <laughs> oh no that that's what yeah. also happens when you're the you're one of few minorities in these right you know majority organizations yeah is that you have to be the expert and speak on behalf of the entire culture and right if you say something against the culture then the culture is wrong or if you have a different view 
in perspective. So, and we, we kind of talked about that last week with uh, the rise of Dr. Vody Bauckham and, and, you know, well, why, why can't all black people be like this black man? He gets it. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Um, so I'm curious, what, what grade did y'all enter Charlotte Christian? I came to CCS as a new sophomore. Mm. In high, school, okay. Okay. in high school, gosh, that's a terrible time to transfer into a school. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I was in the fifth grade when I came in. Okay. Gosh. I can relay, Phoebe, though. I, I, I um... I actually transferred my junior year of high school to a private Catholic all boys school. Oh, wow. Yeah. I went yeah. back to my school that I'd been in from K through 10 for my senior year. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, that's pretty much I had gone to my uh, international school in Hong Kong from first grade until ninth grade. Right. And then got thrown into the lion's den at Charlotte Christian. And I also mm-hmm. moved not only to the U.S. as a non-citizen um, here on a visa. Uh, that was right when Trump's presidential campaign was really gaining a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a scary time. It was it was pretty yeah. traumatic. Honestly, just traumatic. Yeah, because yeah. even the seeds of the of his anti-Asian, anti-Chinese specifically rhetoric was already there. And as we talked about before, and as you've both alluded to, most people aren't going to take the time to distinguish between Korean or Japanese or, or Chinese or Vietnamese. Um, So it's just, it ends up being a catch all phrase. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even, um, And I think, too, this is just something that I've been reflecting more on as well as I think about, like, my experiences with faculty and peers at CCS. But I think when people saw me, too, like, you know, the image that Americans, white Americans have with Asian women is associated with um, 
you know, being docile, submissive, Mm -hmm. um, doing whatever you're told. And I've always been a very headstrong, opinionated, loud person. And I think when I came to CCS and first of all, had a very different uh, politic than everyone else. I dressed differently. Um, I thought differently because my parents just didn't condition me to be a Christian Republican right from the moment I was born. Um, And I pushed back against the establishment and the system. And I think people saw me as a threat, which is why I was, I mean, and even like (laughs) whenever I get in trouble with the principal, you know, he'd say, you're a leader of the school, but you can be a polarizing figure at times, you know? And um, just thinking about that, I think a lot of people, exactly that, when they look at me, they expected one thing, just, you know, there were also only two other Asian people in my grade, and both of them were international students who stayed with host family so that was also the assumption mm. when i got to school too like whose wow. family are you staying with you know right, my own right. uh why is your english <laughs> so good uh i don't know <laughs> same wow. as your same reason yours is good <laughs> right right so like you know um that's definitely something i've been thinking about too um just kind of my physical appearance and essence definitely contradicted with who I actually am to a lot of people who just kind of um, were trying to pigeonhole me and place me into a box, especially at Charlotte Christian, for sure. Yeah. Well, and as you talk about that, I think about how a lot of times that is something that in a lot of ways people, not that it makes it right, but they can't help it because of such lack of exposure to people who are not only different racially, but different culturally, mm. especially people who have been informed and shaped by multiple different mm. cultures. But there comes a point that when you recognize that the box, when I recognize that the box that I've been given for you doesn't work, there comes a time where I have to stop insisting on putting you in that box and let you be you and go about the process of knowing you by asking questions that aren't preempted by an assumption, but right. questions that are pure curiosity of, I, I don't know. And I, I want to get to know, you know, you. So like, what was it like from this place or that place? And that's the thing that I think a lot of people who might be listening, who are maybe thinking to themselves, well, I, I might have asked that kind of question. That's the place that you need to be able to move to, where you need to be able to check whether or not you're still trying to cram someone into a box, even after mm-hmm. they demonstrated and showed you they don't mm-hmm. fit in. Absolutely. And I mean, even with, um, because I mean, obviously, and I know Kennedy can speak to this too, Charlotte Christian is, is still an actively I use this word already, but like traumatic place when I think about the things that I had to experience, not only as a woman of color, but an immigrant, a non-American U.S. citizen at that school. I also think on the flip side about the incredible friends that I made there that Mm. are still very, very close to my heart who exactly they did exactly what you're saying. Instead of trying to come from a place of assumptions, it was purely out of curiosity because most of them have had never lived or even traveled outside of the state of North Carolina for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that therein lies the difference 
difference where it's, um, you know, exactly you're trying to place someone where you think they should be versus how, you know, you're going to just place them purely in your stream of consciousness and just right. who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did this Instagram form, like what was the motive and heart behind that? And, you know, obviously it, it caught a lot of uh, attention. Um, I, you know, there were several pi- private schools that kind of created the same thing in Charlotte and, you know, the Charlotte Observer, uh, one of the bigger media outlets here caught, got wind of the story. So I'm curious, you know, was this a form of protest or was this ensuring that you guys were going to tell an accurate narrative of your experience, um, your lived experience at the, at the schools? I would say both. And this is actually funny because, so like I said, I, I know the person who runs the account and very close to them, but they want to remain, keep their identity anonymous. Um, but I was just having a conversation with them over FaceTime and saying, you know, like all these accounts are being made. And I, I feel like not enough people know the truth, the truth about what really happens to the minority at CCS. Because especially because um, I think what really kind of was the catalyst for this was on their official Instagram page um, when, you know, this sort of recent uprising started happening. They posted um, a picture of Micah. I don't know the specific number, but, you know, love, walk, humbly, Micah, yeah. like, love your God, you know, all these yeah. things. And, and the caption for the post was uh, to sum it up, all lives matter. And we should all love each other. And like, we pray that like, you know, and, um, I mean, I myself commented on that post, including a plethora of other students, white, black parents as well. Um, and my specific comment was saying, how are you not even going to acknowledge that your institution was founded on racism? Because all private schools in Charlotte were f- just private schools in America in general were founded because public schools became integrated and they didn't want to integrate their, their communities, right? And Charlotte Christian was founded in 1950 and Charlotte Mecklenburg as a county didn't even become fully integrated until 1971. So it's like that erasure of their own harmful history as well as the continual erasure of our marginalized voices. And then when, um, you know, things that are clearly unjust are happening all around our country, they don't even have the guts to say Black Lives Matter. Mm. Yeah. Kennedy, what about you? Well, I was not involved with the the creation of the the page. Um but, but you, were I, the, you were the you were the token sp- spokesperson of, of not only <laughs> Charlotte Christian <laughs> alumni, but for the observer. <laughs> yeah, so no, I was yeah, I was gonna get into that. I think it was interesting because so to this day I haven't actually posted any of my personal experiences, like hardline, this is what happened. This is where, this is when I've just talked about, you know, the issues. And at the end of the day for me was this, I think with a lot of people who are, you know, stepping into it, realizing that it is a problem in terms of police brutality and things of that nature. um, They look at them as singular issues 
Whereas, you know, for me, I've, this has been a, an ongoing conversation in my house. This has been an ongoing nightmare for me personally since sophomore year, high school. Um, so eight plus years of me seeing this happen and not feeling like as a child, you know, wanting that type of security and wanting that cover from people who are seeing this and, and assuming that everybody's going to be unified in, in the in the shock and horror, right? And then you realize that it is a politicized issue and you realize that people are, you know, split on something that should be common sense. Um, and so a lot of my frustration had built up. So when I posted my first post about Ahmaud Arbery, that was eight years of pent up emotion. Um, when I posted my second post about it, that was, you know, eight years of pent up emotion about something else. And, you know, uh, I think it was, I was kind of surprised when they reached out to me. Cause I was like, well, I'm not, I, I didn't start it. I don't know who started it, but thinking of, you know, Phoebe's story, one of the things when I, I, cause I've, I've known her since she was in high school. Um, for me, my, my experience at Charlotte Christian was relatively good in terms of, um, yeah, I, I was the black guy that everybody liked. Um, Right. So I, you know, I played football. I did, I did all the things. And so everybody knew who I was and I wasn't, you know, I went to, I've, I've been around kids in the inner city and I, I grew up around them when I was uh, younger. I went to Brookstone schools. My dad founded that school. Mm. Um, and so I've been, went to Lansdowne before that I've been in all these different spaces, but I'm not, um, the kid who grew up in Betty's Ford that people want to talk about when something happens and they say black on black, black crime is an issue. Like I wasn't that kid, but none of the people really knew about those kids anyway. So I've been around and as a result, I just, I was very sensitive to um, all of those different experiences, but felt like um, I wasn't treated the way that somebody like that would have been treated because I was different and because my good English was deemed as eloquence and stuff like that. So I was given a lot of different opportunities that a lot of people wouldn't have been given, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some call it favor. And as a result, you know, when I'm at Charlotte Christian and when I've just graduated, I see Phoebe and, and other students speaking up and, and putting pressure on the school. I mean, when I was, and this is something to Charlotte Christian's credit that they have um, spoken up and said they got wrong. But when I was, you know, when Obama got elected um, in 2012, second time, pretty much every student that wore anything Obama related got dress coded. My entire senior year, I had to deal with people wearing Trump stuff, screaming Trump, Trump 16 and all this stuff. Kids, mind you, that can't vote. So we're just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're just cheering on somebody yeah. and disagreeing about stuff that we have no control over. But I, I don't recall anyone getting dress coded for that. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, to, to their credit, they said they got it wrong. But in that moment, you know, it's as a senior thinking, you know, the rules are different. And, and you're frustrated and you're starting to notice things. And, you know, it, it came to a point where I was just um, ready to graduate and not 
have to deal with that. And um, yeah. it, it was seeing Phoebe and other students when I was gone that were brave enough to do something they didn't have to do and speak up and fight about, you know, the injustices that were happening in this country and put themselves in vulnerable positions that mm-hmm. as, you know, moving forward as somebody who does coach track and, and middle school football and, and see kids who are in my shoes feel like, you know, when stuff like this happens that I have no choice but to speak up and say, yeah. you know, that this isn't about left and right. This is about humans. And if you can't yeah. see that, then this is, there's a deeper problem at hand when, you know, you can't say black lives matter. And I've explained to people because I had to look it up just to make sure that my facts were straight. The hashtag came before the movement, right? right. So regardless of what you feel about their stance on, I mean, they're not a Christian organization. So for having a deeper conversation about, you know, why you're upset because they're not yeah. doing it the way Martin Luther King did or whatever. It's But he was still considered and called a Marxist. Well, <laughs> right. called a- as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Communist Marxist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We come yeah. to this stage every week where it's like, no, their memory of Martin Luther King Jr. He didn't. Yeah, they're, 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 white, they're whitewashed memory. <laughs> well, right, and, right. and you still, you have Martin Luther King on this side and you have Malcolm X on this side and they both got assassinated. So if we're yeah. really having a conversation about what it was like for them at that time, they still yeah. got killed regardless of yeah. what history says about who was, you know, more um, easy to, to like um, and yeah. stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there are these elements of like, okay, Black Lives Matter isn't a Christian organization. So I can't expect yeah. them to, yeah. to do things that the church isn't doing right so yeah yeah and you know i had this conversation last week and i and and i asked you know a a predominant a a white evangelical pastor uh name another organization that exalts black identity and culture right that that is really promoting the humanity of black people 
Um, And he he could not do that. And and I think that the issue I have is that people are always looking for a reason to discredit it. And the Mm -hmm. the hypocrisy is found in that you have the right and privilege to not fully align yourself with Trump, Jerry Falwell, um, Franklin Graham. And it's okay, but I don't have the right to disagree, but still uh, allow pluralism to to take its form and take its shape and and support uh, the humanity of people. Um, the, mm-hmm. the value of people that that every man and woman is created in the image of God, and so, mm-hmm. um, but but I, I know that you guys are from one school, but but what what was amazing, um, especially here in Charlotte, was seeing that there were similar stories across the board mm-hmm. at other private schools, and, and so I'm curious, I'm curious about the word black. Is was the word black used to? Describe the black experience, or was you, did you guys think of it in terms of like it being like a like marginalization? So, so as we we study James Cone, like he uses like the the term black liberation, and you basically insert yourself instead of black. So, was it something along right. those lines, or was it you know for the black story, and then it just evolved? Well. First of all, no other marginalized group can have liberation until black people have liberation. And that's just a fact. And um, I think, like, so I go to Davidson and there was a black at Davidson account created. And then they changed the name to POC at Davidson to also highlight um, other marginalized racial minorities. Um, Mm -hmm. I know... For Charlotte Christian, they would specify in the post if they themselves weren't black or if it was a white person speaking about something they saw happening to a black faculty member. But I think the emphasis for, at least for black at Charlotte Christian, was to center black students and black people and their experiences. And obviously any other perspectives were welcome. But like for me personally, like I... I didn't submit anything that wasn't like my observation and experience of racism against black people because it mm, gotcha. I I did experience racism at that school, right? But this conversation isn't about me because if I put those who are even further marginalized than me in front of me, then I can find freedom once they also exactly like what I said. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing, right? Like it's, it's, I wish that we would understand that it's not like black people just complaining about wanting their freedoms and saying, you know, forget everybody else. It's just the fact that that's the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome and it's going to open doors for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's good. That's the thing, though, that for me, I'm becoming increasingly frustrated because at some point it's not just ignorance anymore. How many times do we have to say what Kennedy so eloquently said that the hashtag came before the organization? It started out as a love letter to black people in the midst of Trayvon Martin, Mm -hmm. in the midst of George Zimmerman being acquitted, a citizen being able to carry out a capital punishment for walking through his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So the continued excuses, including the one, well, this isn't a Christian organization, 
at some that's, point, <laughs> yes, of course, of course, that's where you, I, that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. feel free but to. But also, I mean, no, I, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And this is something that I also continued to like use, and like whenever I would complain to my parents about, you know, people like, for example, the the day Trump also Kennedy was talking about this. No one got in trouble when they wore Trump stuff the day he got elected, but a bunch of us decided to wear all black because we were literally mourning our safety as inhabitants of this country, and we were the ones that got called in the office. Yep, that got I remember hearing about that second yeah. right. And so that, ironically, that day, too, I had done um, an art piece, you know, about veterans, um, and I won this patriotic art award. And as I was walking up to the stage in the middle of this assembly, a bunch of senior boys started going, Trump, 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 as I was walking up, knowing I wasn't a citizen, knowing I didn't support him. Um, Wow. Just stuff stuff like that. Were they disciplined? No, no, not to my knowledge, you know, and, and that's the other thing too, right? Like I, my parents, everyone around me, even myself would say like, they're just ignorant. And at this point, ignorance just isn't an excuse anymore, especially because how are you going to be ignorant white people? How are you going to be ignorant about something you created? race and racism yeah well it's it's designed to keep them (laughs) ignorant but to a certain point like you know what you're doing when you're sitting there and here's the reality we don't know with absolute certainty that those young men weren't reprimanded somehow some way private but we could probably have pretty good assurance not certainty that if you had lashed out in that moment you would have been reprimanded for not uh handling it in a in a in a christian manner like well i did because i (laughs) later on because i posted on my private instagram account that only had like 70 people following it right i said never bash anyone that supported trump i simply said I am scared and I'm disappointed and I'm angry. And I got called into the principal's office the next day. Uh, and this man does not, he no longer works at Charlie Christian, but he reprimanded me for posting that once again, as a leader of this school, as a Christian leader, and then proceeded to tell me that he himself voted for Trump, but that didn't make him a racist. It was simply because he's pro-life. Yeah. Okay. So, which so goes <laughs> to the earlier point that the you earlier did, point that okay, give us the same benefit of the doubt exactly. that we support Black Lives Matter, even the organization to an extent, without being communists or right. socialists, right. or that we still say Black Lives Matter even though we don't even necessarily agree with the stance of the organization. Because at the end of the day, this is about our dignity. We have a personal, physical investment in the dignity and equality of one another. And at some point, I mean, this is a conversation for a whole nother part, but one these days, some of these folks, Dean White, are going to actually recognize that our push for our equality and our dignity includes theirs. 
because they don't see how they are getting taken advantage of and used as middle class and below. (laughs) Especially the middle class and below. but, But here's the thing I'm always reminded of. I love the fact that you are reading my mind. This is not ignorance. This is intentionality. Right. And, and I'm reminded of Louis Farrakhan, who, who frequently comments on how gangster Trump is. We've got some gangster even <laughs> that just they know what they're doing. They they know what they're doing. They They yeah. intentionally act as though they don't have to care. But that shows you. They don't have to go through politics to get to spiritual liberation because the political atmosphere is already set for them. And it's just normalized so much so that they get to just, uh, you know, let's just love one another. I'm not racist. Racism is a sin. I don't have racism in my heart. Right. Because they're not impacted by the system they created that oppresses people of color. So by virtue, we have to go through the system to fight our way through the system to ensure that we can live as human beings with the same rights. And we can do it without taking a left or right position. We take our position and we see who gets behind us, not the other way around. Correct. And I think it goes beyond what, um, you know, just the issue of they're not a Christian organization, because I think. Again, a lot of even with the riots and and things of that, we tend to or uh, the church, sometimes Christian institutions often tend to discuss symptoms without discussing the root issue. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about the fact that, you know, Black Lives Matter saying these things, they have different agendas or whatever. And and they're, again, not a Christian organization. All right. Well, if we're going to have the honest conversation about that, why is that the case? It's because historically speaking, the church has not been a part of the conversation about racial unity in a way that has, you know, positioned people of color, black people to be successful and to be shown the truth that they are also made in the image of God. So if y'all aren't going to have these conversations, if you're not going to step up to the plate and say that what happened at Trayvon Martin was wrong, or say that these, you know, litany of cases that have been going on are wrong, and all you're going to say is that riots are wrongs, riots are wrong, or things of that nature. You're going to leave the door open for a, for some. If you're not going to talk about it, everybody else will, and that is the the consequence that, you know, everybody keeps complaining about Black Lives Matter not being a Christian organization. And my rebuttal is, okay, so what are you, what organization are you going to start? Because at the end of the day, these are the people that are talking about it. So the burden isn't on African-American people to start their own movement, because at the end of the day, the hashtag is there and it's a powerful one. So unless you're going to start your own that deals with with has the agenda of all of the things like you're talking about, it's not just pro-life once they once they exit the womb, like you always say, Sanchez, all of these things where. If you're not going to have that conversation and the church isn't going to be outright yeah. in front of the issue, somebody else will. And that's just a consequence yeah. that we see. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I- two things that it threatens. It threatens not only it threatens the, the, the uh, power, it, thre- it threatens the power structure and it threatens the economics of it. Right. Because imagine if more private schools and, and, and uh, you know, public schools are doing this. They're, they're, imagine if, if they actually clung to morality. 
what it would do because they would then piss off their big donors and we got to keep them happy. We have to keep people happy that are putting food on our table and providing a cush lifestyle for us. Because they want to say they're being guided by a moral compass when in actuality, more often than not, a lot of evangelical organizations are driven by the money ledger. Right. Absolutely. And I think, and this is, this is from, I feel like a lot of, issues that are going and I think my frustration with a lot of people not being able to like see it from my point of view too is that I also came into this country with sort of uh an outsider you know bird's eye view already and that's exactly institutions in this country and I mean like my I'm would be considered like politically radical sure label me what you want I don't really adhere to any of those but every single institution in this country is going to be founded on capitalistic principles therefore exploiting people you know especially well no black people because I mean I was listening to y'all's podcast on capitalism and socialism black people were the economy your bodies were the literal economy and so I think when we think about how like Charlotte Christian. And even like now I see it so much um, at Davidson too. And I think this is why it's especially not a left or right issue too, because I think a lot of the times people that are Democrats or liberals like to um, absolve themselves from this because they're progressive. And it's like, no, you're all speeding in the woke Olympics. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's like, (laughs) that's just not, and I'm paraphrasing, um, Dr. Jen Jackson here, she says that basically all white people are inherently racist because we are socialized under white supremacy. That also Mm. means that all people of color, black people included, can have that internalized white supremacy. And it's something that we have to unlearn. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Just like how yeah. uh, all men are inherently sexist because we're socialized under the patriarchy right and all cisgendered people are transphobic and homophobic right because we're socialized under heteronormativity and they're all things that we have to unlearn and if you're not going to be willing to unlearn that and realize it's not a oh and also america's the only country so i'm going on so many tangents here oh you're great you're great america's the only country where people associate their political party with their identity and that's always confused me yeah <laughs> like you know i'm a born and married or i i'm a democrat like i am you know whatever they, like <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't matter because 
both parties. And I think too, like I'm studying and learning, you know, abolitionist work. I'm an Africana major at Davidson. And I'm, mm. I think abolitionist work at its core, Christianity at its core is abolitionist work, right? Like how can we, how can we continue to live under these systems that are still not recognizing the humanity of all people? And I think, sorry, I'm once again going off on a tangent. Like when I think about, uh, I mean, obviously, a, a lot of posts circulating right now are um, arrest, arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor, arrest the cops mm-hmm. that killed her. And these aren't even my these are all like black radical feminist ideas that I'm just learning from. But why would we want to put her? killer into the same system that got her murdered in the first place and why can't Mm. we imagine especially as christians a world that's beyond carceral punishment that focuses more on accountability and healing wounds and trauma um because if we're never going to be able to get past that and just continue to just punish people for the wrong actions that they do that that's not christian no right there's no forgiveness in that there's no reconciliation or moving no on that. but but the christian party is is pro-death penalty what are you talking about jesus paid it all but not really oh right <laughs> you know like like maybe that's why they emphasize this, they emphasize jesus's death so much like rather than the life that he lived right. and the right. ministry it, that he, he, he did. It's amazing how much even I think about this, you know, how often Easter messages celebrating in name the resurrection, but still fixated on the death. Yeah. And, and I think that goes for any person that it becomes a hashtag that becomes some sort of martyr. Like how come, how come their lives weren't valued? How come they weren't treated this way when they were alive? Why is it only right. through their yeah. death that they can be celebrated? Well, right. they, they came out, they were on the other side of the womb. So we don't have to care. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, this, this is like, this is what really, really drives me crazy is that the, the, the passion that we have for, you know, those in the, inside of the womb, we yeah. don't carry that same energy on the outside mm-hmm. at all because we don't view humanity yeah. the same. And we and don't, don't really. Right. Ahead, and, and, and don't hear us saying we don't care about what happens in the womb because we do. We have we care about what happens on both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I hate that phrase, both sides. But y- y'all get what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, I I. I I mean, this was minutes ago, good 20 minutes ago, but I mean, part of both of you telling your story, and I hope this isn't missed, and I'd love for you guys to elaborate on this more, but you guys wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't have accepted this invitation. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing to prop up the voices of Black at Charlotte Christian if you didn't have some sort of affinity and love for your experience and people there. Absolutely. All right. No question. I would say so, that's, that's, that's why tokens exist. It is. And even for you and I said, I think we talked about this a couple of days ago. Like, like we are as passionate, we're passionate about this because we do care. 
Yeah. And there's a genuine love and you fight for that love and you you fight for it until it works itself out. Right. So yeah. like, I, I, I do think there are some people that see that and, and, and value that. Yeah. But then we just have trolls and, and people that, that they don't really care. They, they just want to argue. Right. They want to, so, you know, uh, yeah, I, you about to get me on my soapbox. Okay. Oh, please, and, then please. and then I'm going to release these two to basically <laughs> speak to this as well. But I'm sure there's people out there who think that basically what this is, is a rip on Charlotte Christian session. That can be anything further from the truth. We're speaking truth. And if that paints them in a less than flattering light, that's not because of something that we've done. But we are speaking about these issues as it relates specifically to Charlotte Christian because we actually care about the institution of Charlotte Christian, but not because of the building, but because of the people. So I'll speak for myself. I have been involved with Charlotte Christian going back to at least the year 2007, six or seven when I started speaking there at middle school chapels and eventually high school chapel and even elementary chapel, I spoke at chapel on all three schools. I have students from my 13 years doing student ministry um, here in Charlotte, many of whom who attended Charlotte Christian and they had a great experience and it set themselves set them up for life, giving them, you know, equipping them with the tools and they needed to be able to go beyond just high school and be um, successful, but also um, high character people that contribute to um, society. And I was there all the time during lunch, coming up there to see the students who were my students, but also interacting with their friends. And it was never about, let me see if I can go up here and recruit some kids to come to my thing at my church. It was about those students. And so they, they, they know that I care. And there was even someone very high up the ladder of um, leadership at Charlotte Christian who actually thanked me. And I haven't forgotten this, that he thanked me for always showing an interest in his kids that went to that school who never came to youth group. Mm -hmm. Only one of their kids occasionally came to Sunday school. And he appreciated so much <coughs> that I would actually still show an interest because let's be honest, a lot of youth pastors, it becomes about that commodifying capitalistic mentality of youth group that I got to grow this thing and I got to get more people so I can get more budget and I can get bigger things for my youth group. But I mean, all that being said, I'm still in relationship with a lot of those people, whether it be students or staff. So this isn't about bashing Charlotte Christian. This is about our desire to see Charlotte Christian do better when it comes Absolutely. to dealing with these issues, because we recognize that no fault of their own of the people who are there, they have inherited something that is not equipped and ready to deal with these students now 
telling their story and their experience. And mm-hmm. they got blindsided yeah. by it. And they probably need some help. But here's the thing. It's going to be a little painful. But you all need people who are going to be honest with you, but also care about you all as individuals, not just the name of Charlotte Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, and I'm, oh, you got that. No, no, you go first. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I mean, it's so true. I think, you know, I can, uh, I'll list some of the things, but I, like I said earlier, I did a lot at the school. I played football senior year. We have this thing called the at graduation, the president's cup, which is like Mr. Charlotte Christian. So I was given that award and, you know, everybody used to make fun of me because, well, I, I chose UNC Charlotte for my own reasons, not because I just wanted to stay in Charlotte, but I chose UNC Charlotte. I ended up coaching at the school because, because my head track coach, coach Rob, shout out, he's my uncle. So he's, he's like one of my uncles and I couldn't say no to him. So I end up, you know, back on the campus and people are making fun of me. Why aren't you, why are you still here? And all this stuff. And I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it is because I, I do have a love for Charlotte Christian and the people there. Um, and I do want to see, I see what it could be. And I, and I do want to see, I mean, you, you look at the way Jesus lived, you look at the, his ministry and yes, I, I do believe that, you know, Christianity is, is the truth. And as a result, I want the church and the people in it to act and use the, the things that God has equipped us with to, to be mm-hmm. holistic Christians that care about children in the woman outside and, and things of that nature. And I think with, you know, that is part of it is when you believe in something, you know, when I played football, my, my defensive line coach always used to say, you'll know when I, when I'm done with you is when I stop giving you corrections, you know, when I'm done with you and I don't believe in you anymore, it's because I'll just be silent. And part of that reminder for me, right. Is, you know, coach is dogging me right now, man. I feel like I'm doing everything wrong. And he, he's like, hold on, hold on. I'm going to get on you because I know what you're capable of. And I believe in you. And the second that I stop, that's when you need to be concerned. So I think, you know, this is all like the black at Charlotte Christian page, all of these stories of people talking about, you know, being vulnerable and being honest about what happened while they were at the school. I mean, these are students that were there and some of them are like class of 06, some of them are class in the nineties and stuff like that. So obviously, like you said, Mr. Giller, it hasn't been there for all of that. He got the job in 2010, right? So it's mm-hmm. a mountain of, mm-hmm. of true stories and pain that are, are sitting at his table and, and, you know, they are trying and they're, you know, trying to put things in place to, they asked a couple of us on a, on a zoom call, you know, how can we fix this? What do we need to do? And asking, setting up a council and trying to have a director of diversity. And unfortunately all of this is after the fact, right? Right. But it is okay. Are you willing to have this hard conversation and us putting pressure on on him in the midst of him trying to do a good thing and Mm -hmm. saying, okay, we need to address the elephant in the room that Charlotte Christian was started in 1950. And regardless of the stories and things that happened before you got there or where we are, where we're progressing at now, we can't fully progress if we don't talk and just accept the fact that this is where we started. 
And if we can be honest about that, then we can truly move forward. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of, uh, again, you know, with what Phoebe was saying about the Instagram post that, that I remember got a lot of pushback. It's if we don't believe in you, we're not going to say anything or we're just going to disconnect ourselves from the school period. We're not going to send our kids back and some kids still won't, but it's when we're alumni that have our own families and we are in the Charlotte area, thinking about sending our kids back to Charlotte Christian might have a sour taste or might be something like PTSD where we're not going back there. Mm -hmm. But the fact that people are pushing back and saying, no, you need to do something differently is saying that we believe that you can step up to the plate and be the light, the salt of the earth that you've been called to be so that when the next, unfortunately, when the next thing happens, Charlotte Christian can be at the front and can be the example that they were made to be. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's, that's all that it stems from belief. Can I ask a question? I want to ask a question uh, because I find it interesting and ironic that y'all do have black administration and y'all do have black teachers. Um, not a lot. Not, not a lot, but, 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 <laughs> can, can, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like what, what, what is the pressure you think they feel probably knowing and seeing that these things are happening like are they are they aware are they coaching you guys through this or did they coach you guys through this or were they more or less just trying to survive and you know get by themselves you know and you don't have to necessarily use names or, or putting anybody right. on because I, um, I do think that because black people are in leadership that they are down for the cause and that they mm-hmm. are going to be the great liberator but I, I just wonder if if there's a ceiling for their leadership to where they can. So I definitely think it's a combination of a lot of those things. And I only had one, I mean, I was only at CCS for three years, but I only had one black teacher and um, she made also because um, I was heavily involved in theater at CCS um, and hey wait wait hold up hold up don't hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't let her try to, don't let her try to be shy about it. She was Cinderella. You can say it. You can <laughs> okay. say it. Okay. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. How, hang on, hang on. How do people feel about that? What? I remember Cinderella people. Wasn't Asian. Are you kidding? No, right. Yeah, like my friends were like would say it jokingly because I knew that they were like mocking. like a black Santa Claus. Right, like they were like, oh my gosh, Asian Cinderella! Like, look at that! Like breaking boundaries. And I think I, I really did. That was an extremely special role for me too because I remember after the show there were all these. I was walking across buildings on top of the football field and this 
this group of first grade girls of all races came running up to me. They're like, are you Cinderella? And I was like, oh, yes. Great. And that, it was like that, you know, that mm-hmm. made me realize. And I think just the entire theater department in general, that was a safe space for me mm-hmm. because of the culture that my one black teacher at CCS had created. And mm. um, she no longer works at CCS as of this past year, which is truly so unfortunate. Um, and, and I think I commented this on one of the Black and Charlotte Christian posts um, speaking about her, you know, like, I, I think if, if CCS had maybe invested in her a little more, she wouldn't have left. Mm-hmm. Um, and it breaks my heart because she not only made such a profound impact on my life and is someone that I'm still in contact with, but I know she did that for, I'm sure all of her, or at least almost all of her students. And I think um, I, this is definitely, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, cause Kennedy still, helps out at CCS a lot, whether it's the track team or the football team. And we literally both uh, went back to, because Kennedy and I became close because I joined the praise band because of him. And uh, we came back as alumni literally around a year ago to sing uh, for teachers and faculty. Um, And it was a group of alumni and we, we sang at Charlotte Christian. And, And I remember afterwards we talked about a little bit about kind of our experiences too but my brother my younger brother he's about to be in kindergarten at charlotte christian Mm. he has a long ways to go if uh, my family continues to stay living in charlotte and he still goes to ccs and and i don't want him to have to go through what i went through i want the culture to be able to have evolved and changed by then um because that's the thing like there there were so many teachers and people that really changed my life at CCS that still have such a special place in my heart. And it's that, that I'm holding on to. But at the same time too, uh, for for me personally, I walked away from my faith because of Charlotte Christian. Mm -hmm. And um, only recently, really because of this quarantine and being at home, have Mm. I, have I started to make the started my journey of spiritual healing and realizing I can't, I can't judge Christianity and Jesus as a whole based on people who were claiming that they were his followers. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I was really holding on to as I was at CCS, you know, seeing how, how are these people calling themselves Christian and then being so blatantly racist, sexist, and prejudiced towards me and my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of like Kennedy said, I, before I graduated, I was just like, I'm ready to get out of here. You know, I just don't want to be here any longer. Mm-hmm. And all of college up to this point for me has been running away from God has been pushing away the one truth in my life because I, I was still associating it with that space Mm. and, and, you know, trying to fill that hole in my heart with things that were never going to fully satisfy me. Mm. And I've only recently, you know, been able to come to terms with the fact that like, first of all, those people aren't actual some of them might be, but aren't actual Christians. If they really loved God, followed Christ, read his word, would never have treated me 
or anyone like me in that manner. Um, and so it's just kind of been, you know, not clumping the two together. Right. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. Think, uh, oh, sorry. I'm no, bad. I was just going to say me and Kennedy both just want a better future for the kids and faculty that were invested in at CCS and for the culture to be a healthy, uplifting environment versus a toxic and oppressing one. Yeah. I think with the the kids that I coach, um, so it's, it's weird for me because I know I'm only 21 and I'm saying that, but you know, I'm back at the school and the kids that I'm coaching that are freshmen right now. Um, they were an extended day. They were the JKers. They were the kids that I, I used to hang out with them, you know, before my football games. And, you know, you see it once you see them as children that whether white, black, Hispanic, Asian, you know, they come up to you and they, you're a rock star, right? They don't care about what you look like. And I was just Kennedy, the football player. Right. And you're building a relationship with these kids. Cause when I was, you know, their age, Steph was at the school and he treated me and I'm not Steph, but I'm, you know, Steph Curry is able to just have a conversation with some nobody kid that's waiting for his sister uh, to, to get out of high school classes. And, and I, that, you know, made my whole world. And, you know, as a high schooler playing football, I just, you know, I wanted to have that relationship with everybody and, you know, with the kids at the school and, you're making those connections and you see them and something's gone awry, right? They've learned something that all of a sudden, you know, there is this tension between this black player and this white player and, you know, all of these things that they have no business knowing about, you know, politics, the way, like what middle schooler is going to have anything important to say in terms of like who should be president and why and stuff like that. And, you know, they're saying these things and you're like, who is teaching you this? And it's, it's learned information that something changed. And, you know, I, I look at the kids that I have known since they were kids, since they were in kindergarten and now they're in high school and I want, and they're in middle school and I want, like Phoebe was saying for her little brother, right? Like I remember being in their shoes and taking a girl to homecoming and going to, their house for the party i'm um, not the girl's house but somebody who was hosting the little pre whatever dance uh social hour i walk in all the parents know who i am and at least i'm pretty sure they all knew who i was and i've never been just stared at like they didn't say hi they just stared at me and i felt like a zoo animal and i remember i texted my parents i was in i was a junior and i texted my family and i was like you know i don't know what just happened but I just know I didn't like it and I know it didn't feel right. And that unshakable feeling of I'm, I'm, I'm being, I feel like an animal right now. I don't even feel like a human the way people are staring at me. Mm. And you, you just, that's an experience. I, I don't want the kids that I coach and track to ever have to go through. Um, it's the, the teacher that says something ignorant and disrespectful about one of my little sisters um, that's on the track team and you are furious and you just want to, you're angry that you, you could tear the whole joint down. And because you, you just don't want these kids to have to go through that. And 
as a result, when these things happen, I'm like, man, like, no, I, I'm I'm speaking up for for this kid who's graduating and playing football somewhere, for this kid who is trying to make their way and, and, and is is growing up at, and hasn't seen an African American teacher, right? It's it's all of those things where I've been. God has put me in a position of leadership, and I feel like I'd be in sin if I didn't say something. And hoping that, you know, over time, you know, I, something that you mentioned or the question you were asking about, you know, people in leadership, my dad and I had a, a lot of conversations for me, like when I posted what I posted, knowing that I want to work in the church, knowing that, you know, I may be working at Charlotte Christian or somewhere else, um, knowing that there is, I'm going to be working in a Christian institution somewhere. Um, I, I had to get to the point where I was willing to burn every bridge with all of those people because of what I was saying. Like, I did not care if it made me look like I was a Democrat or if it made me look like I was some far left progressive person that everybody has an issue with. Like, no, I'm going to make this statement because I know that it is the truth. And I know that there are people out there that need to, to be heard and need to be covered. Right. And when George Floyd um, was killed, I, I was I was ready. Like I was like, man, like if my church doesn't talk about it, I'm not I'm not doing this job. I'm not going to be able to do it because I'm not I haven't been aside from my like my parents were my saving grace. The reason why I knew Charlotte Christian was a place that I like found Jesus and, you know, realized that I needed him. But my parents always raised me to believe that I was a child of God first. And I never questioned my identity in that regard, but, you know, I didn't have to have those doubts as a kid. So growing up, my dad being a pastor, he spoke to some of those issues. He says non-compliant shouldn't merit death and things of that nature to where I felt covered. Right. And mm -hmm. stepping out of that, going to other churches where it's not my daddy in the pulpit I'm like, look, man, like if you if you're not willing to talk about these issues, regardless of what how deep your right wing congregation members pockets are like, I, I if you're not willing to do it, then then I'm not going to be here. And if, if that puts me in a tough spot, that's OK, because I feel like I'd be talk about being a sellout. Right. I'd be selling out if I didn't if I didn't take that stance and wasn't willing to. I don't care. You know, take away you, the opportunity. You'd be selling your soul. You'd be selling yeah. your soul. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's interesting because we have that term sellout. And I think the term sellout oversimplifies it because, I mean, Sanchez and I have both been in that position where we're getting a paycheck and right. we have a family to provide for and we have to count the costs. And it, that's what it really comes down to is counting the right. counting the cost of if I speak up, no matter how true or right what I say um, is, there is a cost that I might incur for for doing this. I mean, heck, I've I've had to count the cost just from being associated with other things that were deemed quote too too left of of, of center, mm -hmm. um, right. you know, and that's. It is what it is, and you know that's their prerogative and and whatnot. But yeah, it's um, it's really it's really fascinating. So, 
my my question is is what does what would you say a a place like a Charlotte Christian or another uh, Christian organization that finds itself in this moment trying to catch up um, and still how how do how how do they address this in such a way that um, helps move things forward and pushes closer towards healing? Or let me let me phrase it another way: instead of simply just going the diversity route, mm-hmm. instead of just doing the thing that just assures everyone that they're not racist. How do they actually create an actual anti-racist culture? Mm -hmm. Which for clarification for all of the listeners out there, anti-racist is not anti-people. Anti-racist is actively speaking up against racist thinking and behavior that does not destroy the person who says the idea, thought, or thing, or does the behavior it actually Mm -hmm. seeks to phoebe your earlier point a reimagining of what accountability it looks like so Mm -hmm. it's not just purely punitive Mm -hmm. i think and and i i agree with everything you just said too and especially kennedy was talking about this earlier right like whenever we speak up about uh injustices whatever it may be people want to rush to you and then just drain all of your emotional labor from you because they're trying to learn and do better and be better. And yes, it's, it's great to ask questions and to listen, but you know, after a certain point, there's so much work that, you know, people like us all have to do to just explain ourselves that just, is so draining and at this point just shouldn't be necessary anymore because Google exists. <laughs> you can literally look up at the tip of your fingers the resources that you are looking for to unlearn all of these ideas that you're asking. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like, you know, us, not experts about, you know, whatever the topic may be. We're only one person with a limited amount of experiences. I think the first step would be to listen when we're speaking first rather than, you know, poking and prodding and being like, what's this? What's the answer to this? What's the answer to this? Just listening firsthand and then taking what you've heard and then actually doing the research yourself to apply that knowledge. And I think one really crucial way that CCS and other institutions like it has to do is doing things like changing curriculum. Um, In our junior year Bible class, we literally learned that you can identify people's race based on the shape of their skull. 
race is not a biological concept race is not yeah i know exactly and like at that point like what i was a junior i knew it wasn't right but who was i to speak out against my authority right my teacher which i did but then obviously would get shut down very quickly you know and i think that first of all a lot of people at Charlotte Christian and other schools like it are still in this thought process that you can identify phenotypic traits, personality traits to races. Which started getting debunked as recently as the 1920s and the final nail in the coffin was the Human Genome Project in 2000. Sorry, continue. No, exactly. Right. So it's. Just abolish that idea that race is a biological concept. It's already been debunked. It's not true. It is a social construct created by white people to categorize and dehumanize and justify their inhumane actions. For the pursuit of power and wealth. Exactly. Exactly. Um, th- that That's just like the first thing that comes to mind. And in that class, too, we, we learned about other world religions from a very, very, obviously it's a Christian school, so it's going to be promoting and teaching Christianity, but you can do that without demonizing other religions and saying that Islam is the Antichrist, Buddhism is just so wrong, you know, all these, like, we, there's no need to further isolate and 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 be xenophobic against people that all you're already not in close contact with, because that just mm. further perpetuates how closed-minded so many people at Charlotte Christian were because we weren't even receiving the right kind of education, right? The curriculum is so important in changing the culture. Um, and I think too, with our uh, government classes, why are, why are we learning that what the founding fathers did was good or right? Why are we learning that Ronald Reagan is the president that we should all be admiring Right. When he literally is responsible for killing millions and millions and millions of black people in this country. You know, I, I, I just it's stuff that you can't you don't feel like you have the right to speak out against or have the right education to speak out against when you're in that position, when you're learning from an authoritative figure and then you get older. And like for me, you know, going to college, I mean, obviously Davidson has its own issues, but like becoming an Africana major and unlearning everything that I have learned at CCS from a historical standpoint just made me so frustrated because I can't go back there now and storm into the classroom and be like, this is wrong. You're not learning the right information. So I think that that has to come from the school. And that has to be a group-wide effort of, of completely changing the way that the curriculum is done and like really trying to, to find Jesus, find the Christianity, the humanity in these curriculums because that, that's just not what was happening through, for a lot of it. Yeah, I think some of the other things... Um... I totally agree with curriculum overall. Uh, one of the things in the, some of the conversations I've been able to be a part of was I've said like specifically black people have more to offer than just slave history and the Harlem Renaissance. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's all we talk about. And with, you know, 
the the <laughs> world. That's history. gonna be a quote for token this week. <laughs> <laughs> you just got yourself quoted. <laughs> I appreciate it. And then, like uh, you know, world history is not just the Americas and Europe, right? So it's not, you know, you don't learn. I didn't learn really about the. I mean, obviously, being Zimbabwe, and I knew about colonization, and my dad. If you want to irritate them, call Zimbabwe Rhodesia, right? It's it's the, the small things where you're reminding people of their former captivity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and learning the implications of all of these things, learning that, you know, they are like to, to what Phoebe was saying. We don't learn that race was constructed and all of these mystical you know stories to to kind of augment the the these large brooding gorilla-esque people right so that we can make them scary or make them seem like barbarians so that oh we need to go spread we need to go fix them right and and showing these we don't talk about the elements of manipulation that people did with the explorers that told blatant lies about the African people to, to, to then justify the scramble for Africa. Um, we don't, we don't talk about Asian history nearly as much. I took yep. an Asian history <laughs> class in college and I learned it was this past semester. I learned so much and it was very, very helpful for me to not learn it from this is why it's wrong, but just learning that this is what they believe. And then, or just learning this is what happened. Exactly, exactly. So, I think it's that, and a lot of the things. You know, back to you know my church. I was very I'm grateful that they did say something on a Sunday morning. And it's, you know, you have to be willing. I again, something I've said is don't bunt. Right, you have to swing. And if if you miss, that's okay because we're 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 like we're smart enough to see that you're trying right so in your efforts granted you know a for effort is fine until lives are it, are impl- implicated so mm-hmm. that's not something that we can always give that grace for but you know a for effort early on is okay but a for effort isn't a forever thing when i'm terrified every time i get pulled over at night um, you have to be willing to swing and try to have those conversations, but then be willing to listen when you've got it wrong and people mm-hmm. are trying to educate you and show you, yeah, you might not be a racist person, but here's why what you said isn't okay. Um, and, and things of that nature in the same way that if I don't have the experience to, to talk about sexism because I'm a guy, right? So I need to be willing to ask Phoebe, right? I need to be willing to ask people that go through these things mm-hmm. and listen when they are telling us their stories and not be so quick to think that they're lying. Um, so, yes. it's, <laughs> so it's accountability, right? And it's, I don't, I'm, uh, I'm not calling for everybody to be fired at Charlotte Christian. I want them to learn, right? Because at the end of the day, they get fired and they're not going to be like, all right, well, let me just learn all this stuff and figure <laughs> right. out why I got fired in the first place. No, right, there has right. to be training. And these are, you know, these are things that they are trying to instate now and it's good, but it's, 
you know, who is going to be doing the training, right? It's, you know, is it just learning? I mean, so many things, right? Is it, is it learning about the history of the school and how, what, what measures we can take to assuage that moving forward? Is it learning about, you know, why certain things are racist and problematic to say in the classroom or how to handle when a student says something I was one of two black people in my history class, right? So when you're talking about current events and everybody's giving their opinions and it's, you know, I would have shot Michael Brown too. And nobody, we don't know any information about the case itself. That is a very, very isolating, painful experience to have being one of two. And then having that phrase or that statement just be brushed over like it was nothing. And at that point, right, I'm in there thinking, oh, so, I mean, he's a big black guy. That's me, right? Yeah. And it's learning the implications of these statements and learning how to deal with them. How are we going to learn? Because that's part of classroom management, right? So it's a lot of training. There's a lot of training that needs to be done. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's curriculum overhaul. It's... Mm-hmm. It's training. And then it's also, you know, black literature and, and things of that nature. They've mm-hmm. I, before the uh, Armand Arbery, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, they had um, assigned some some black literature for the students and that they got pushback. And so it's OK. What are we doing in the midst of pushback? Right. It's being able to in the same way that if somebody were going to give you pushback for your stance on abortion and being pro-life and you're going to put your foot down, you better be able to put your foot down when you clearly see something being done wrong to black people. Are you going to have that same energy like Sanchez was saying? Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, if you are, if, if you have parents that are threatening to take their funds away or parents who are threatening to take their kids out of the school, let them. Because at the end of the day, that can be filled with an Asian student or a Hispanic student or another African-American student that would make the student body look like the kingdom anyway. Or just so, even... So, sorry. Wait, all, all, all people of color aren't poor? <laughs> like, they can <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, yeah. it, it, really, is, it really is like you're saying, you're, you're, it's, it's asking them to count the costs. Right, right, right. Like, and for me, like, all of this is good, but like, we also need repentance. Right. Like, you, you need to repent and turn away from this stuff and denounce and divest yourself of white supremacy so that you can move forward. And I believe personally that every institution should have diversity training, diversity testing yearly. Right. Yearly, in, in my opinion, to assess, and that's a part of your annual review to assess if you are making progress because a lot of these teachers whether they are close to retirement or they're getting in the game and they're trying to climb the ladder they really aren't concerned with these issues they're just trying to skate by do their thing climb the ladder climb the ladder at the expense of people of color and you're 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 a trauma (laughs) yeah and that's where you get to the point of like we the teachers do need to be held accountable in the same way that I mean, Phoebe knows we can get kicked out of the school for 
lots of different things. We have a, a code of conduct that we have to adhere to. And if mm-hmm. we don't, there are certain issues on there that aren't, mm-hmm. they aren't against the law in terms of the law of the land. They're against maybe the law of the Bible and the law of Charlotte Christian. And it's kind of extracurricular, right? So if, if at every point in my life, whether I'm in the building or outside of the building, I'm a representative of Charlotte Christian. And if I, if I slip up in a big way, then I can get kicked out of the school. The, the faculty, right? Like they need to be able to be held accountable in that way. And if it's, it's not just fire them all, but it is okay. Once you've tried to teach them, once you've given them the opportunity to grow, and realizing that you are doing that at the potential expense of future students, right? So it's not like the implications and the stakes are fairly high, right? I'm giving you a second chance to show that you're not going to put another kid like Kennedy in that same situation in your history classroom and saying like, okay, if you aren't going to do that and you're not like you're saying you're close to tenure and you just want to chill and or retirement or whatever, nah, you got to go. And you might have yeah. to find employment elsewhere yeah. and finish out your little ride elsewhere. And that's yeah. part of accountability that mm-hmm. we need to see as well. Yeah. And and there there's a uh, Ray. <laughs> Ray. Nah, fire them. But, you know, in, in, in fairness, I mean, I, I'll push back on that just a, a wee bit um, yeah. and then say what I was going to say. But, I mean, you, we need to be able to discern which teachers really are doing the white of white supremacy the work of white supremacy intentionally and which ones are really operating from huge blind spots exactly because there's probably yeah. a ton of teachers who are teaching the phenotype thing and don't realize that yeah. race is a social construct it's biologically right. false because then what happens is especially in christian spaces a lot of evangelical spaces we start to talk about tribes and nations in the bible as if they're a one-to-one race and they're not mm. because yeah. again if you trace the legislation the history of legislation around naturalization and immigration in america hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whiteness and who is white and who isn't has done this. Oh, yeah. 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 Right? So it's never been this clear thing, which it doing mostly this was due to the fact that to build a not just a consensus in the electorate, but maintain their the majority status. Yeah. Yeah. And that that reminds me that one thing they need to stop doing is preaching to be a Republican is to be a Christian and to be a Democrat is to not be. 
Um, because that's a lot of where that comes from. And yeah, and it's being able to recognize that there are stances on both sides that line up with things in scripture. There are stances on both sides that don't line up with things that are in scripture. So being able to be honest and like, just stop trying to religion, like spiritualize that element. This is, this is what we're trying. This is what we're trying to ask them. Will we value capitalism over people? (laughs) <laughs> like like will we will we are we going to put capitalism over people in this case outside of the womb right, right? because it's at the expense like money is at the expense of your not only like you said your identity and and it's, it's caused you trauma so right. there has to be a value on your lived experience firsthand you've got receipts there has to be value that's that's weighed heavier in that regards than the money that they are afraid of losing. And my, my my cynical side says that they they are going to be as diplomatic as possible and, and do the right things to to make white people feel uncomfortable enough, but feel like they are still the heroes and they're they, they're still holy and righteous and they're not racist. Um, because that's what history teaches me. Yeah. That's that's what history yeah. teaches me. Yeah. Unfortunately. And Unfortunately, think, it's oh, sorry, you got a few. No, no, I was just gonna say because, like, you know, you're saying whiteness has been this, right? And, and I think that's why, especially when you combine, uh, in Charlotte Christian's case, whiteness with being Christian, being Republican, being wealthy, you know, all of these things, because. And, and, and from that standpoint, you're trying to put people into boxes, whether it's, you know, labeling Kennedy as this, labeling me as this, because white people don't even know how to define whiteness. There's no definition for it. <laughs> they're like, yes, they're, yes, yes they there is. Know. Yes, there is. It's called normal. <laughs> exactly. There you go. You're so, standard. you're so used to being the standard that when your identity is questioned and you realize, oh my gosh, I actually don't know what my identity is. Right. And then I have a culture. Right. Exactly. And, and, and you cannot have, first of all, America doesn't have a culture. It's black culture. Everything that this country has created culturally has been exploited and profited from black people. Anyone like the fact that I even brought that up to people at school even in college or other circles and people are like well that's you know what about this or like country music or rock nope black people. country music black yeah <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> right exactly. and, and and to your point phoebe part of it and we've talked about this before on here is in order to um take on whiteness meant divesting of their european culture And so what you're saying not only involved taking the culture that black people were creating, but divesting of their, you know, French, Spanish, Portuguese culture, and then appropriating the culture that black people were creating in the midst of bondage and calling it American. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but I think, and and I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm -mm. I was just going to say, I think a lot of, um, unfortunately, you know, COVID is 
delaying, you know, the starts of, of school and things of that nature. So we don't know how things are going to shake out, but a, a lot of it has to do with, all right, like they have committed to doing some things. What is this year going to look like? And, mm-hmm. and being willing to kind of, it's like your contract year, right. With a, with the free agent, right. It's like, no, this is a time when you're going to have to show us that you are serious mm-hmm. about that change. And if you're not the consequences there, it's going to be a lot. If you thought this was intense, right. If you thought the Instagram backlash was intense, don't back, don't take back on your promises going into this new year. Right. And to, to, to Sanchez's point, it is when the money gets tight, right. When, when people start to make those threats, who do you value more? Right. Because even, you know, with the silence and, and things of that nature, the unwillingness to say Black Lives Matter, you have to we, we learn about ethical dilemmas and, and senior Bible class and things of that nature. What is the greater good? To me, I would rather have to explain why I don't fully align with Black Lives Matter than have to explain why my silence doesn't mean that I didn't care about black people, because. That to me is what speaks more volume, right? I can explain away all day why my life preceding my statement of Black Lives Matter and after show that I don't fully align with everything and I don't have to, right? That's that's lazy thinking to assume that everybody who just says one thing aligns with everything that that one thing says. So, right. yeah. They ain't so, doing it with making America great again. Right, and and we don't, it's to the point where I can't give, I can't, I, I had a conversation with somebody who was talking about this former nostalgia of the police force and things of that nature where, you know, it was the, the career day, my dad's a cop, things of that nature. And I'm like, well, the, for the black community, for me being trained in what to do when I get pulled over, the assumption is, you know, black people, for white people, it's, you know, cops are here to protect and serve. And for people of color, it feels like b- cops are here to protect white people from us. So mm-hmm. that is how I've, and you know, it is seeing the cops at Charlotte Christian and having to unlearn some of that because they did treat me very well. And, but it's also understanding that for a lot of people, no, I don't, my life depends on at some point I can't give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. And when these things happen, there's so much of this expectation of us to just wait. No, we want them because they, they shoot and ask questions later with us. But when we want them to be held accountable, it's we need to let the justice system play out and things of that nature. And it's like, no, we Trayvon Martin wasn't there to speak up for himself when people were plastering his Instagram page all over the media and saying that just because some kid had weed in a, in an Instagram post that for some reason that might merit his death or some, something like that. Like they don't, they're quick to say things and then not explain what those, the implications of those statements are. And you have to be willing to know we're going to get dive into. And so when you say, you know, that this is about whether he was on, no, he approached him because he was wearing a hoodie. So since when did dress dress code show that I belonged in a certain place? Why is it? 
And these questions are things that people don't necessarily want to dive deep into because then it becomes, you know, do I look like I belong at Charlotte Christian mm-hmm. and, and yeah. things of that nature. And so yeah. having, we have to dive deep into those uncomfortable topics. So there's, there's a question actually for you, Kennedy. Um, and the question is how much of yourself do you think you are giving up if any during this season? Um. How much of myself do I think I'm giving up um, in terms of like my energy, my emotional capacity is the answer yeah. just how I make it. Uh, yeah. How are you <laughs> interpret it? Um, I think in some respects it feels like a lot. I mean, there are times when I, you know, I am stressed out and tired because I don't have all the answers. Right. But there yeah. is an element of, feeling I get energy from knowing that, you know, when a friend or former classmate that did go through worse things that things that were way worse than what I went through reaches out and says, thank you for being a part of a Charlotte observer post that I didn't think I had any business of being a part of. Like when, (laughs) when they reach out and they say, thanks. And it's, you feel like you see your purpose, right? You're not just, you're not just speaking on your own behalf. You're not speaking for all black people, but you are speaking for the people that you have a relationship with and love and care for. So if what I have to say affects you know, a, a kid that I mentor and, and makes them feel seen and heard in any way, shape or form, though it does feel like I am giving a lot and I am giving a lot of myself. Um, that makes it a little easier. I don't know if that fully answers that question. Yeah, no, um, Ray actually said he feels like he's listening to the 21 year old version of himself and he wishes mm-hmm. that he had somebody teaching him how to decenter whiteness. So. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really encouraging. Uh, uh, one more question, and this is kind of for both of you guys, and then we'll start wrapping up uh, to talk about how you're you're caring for yourself. So uh, uh, this question is basically, um, do students feel encouraged or at least free from punitive repercussion to ask questions of the teachers or to inform the conversation and lectures when taught facts uh, are, to, are, are known to be uh, inerrant? Uh, did teachers seem to have an awareness of the issues uh, the curriculum may have presented? In other words, were they willing to be corrected about something that was a massive blind spot <laughs> from a student? <laughs> from a student. And I think, I think when it came to like a curriculum standpoint, they knew what they were doing and they know what they're teaching and they know that they're in, it's that power dynamic, right? That even if they know someone in the audience in their classroom, isn't going to agree with them, what are they going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. I think more so when it comes to, and I've seen this too, like on Facebook, of uh, teachers from CCS that I'm, or faculty that I'm friends with, and even um, teachers that have submitted stuff onto the Black at Charlotte Christian page. Like some of them are saying, like, "Oh my gosh, like I did this. It was a microaggression. It was racist, and I am extremely sorry." And I think the most important thing too is that, like, we're right. Like as people of color, like we're still learning and unlearning at the same time too. We're not in a place of superiority just because we have those experiences. And I think that's why a lot of the times, like 
white people feel so uncomfortable with admitting that they're wrong is because they think it's coming from us reprimanding them from a place of superiority but yeah, it's just like we we want to destroy them and then we're gonna we're gonna make a meme right. about how we destroyed them and we're right. gonna and take I, them over yeah make like, america black <laughs> once and for all <laughs> and that's not to say that there aren't like people that that are you know promoting you know those like black nationalists black nationalism still exists right but that's not what we as you know christians are trying to do and i think that there's definitely you can see that uh and we talked about this at the beginning the difference between the intentionality versus right the blind spots and obviously there's there's knowledge to some degree but there's always more that you can learn and unlearn right and and don't use the very small number of nationalists as an excuse to ignore those who are actually trying to do the work of peace making. Right. Because that's the thing that I am growing increasingly frustrated with is the people who it's becoming really, really clear that they would rather talk about the dangers of certain aspects of the Black Lives Matter movement than highlight those who are doing it well. They'd rather they'd rather focus on the energy that is being given to shame and cancel culture than focus on those who are not using it as shame and canceling people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think to a, a great degree too, I think the reason why a lot of faculty and just people at Charlotte Christian are kind of afraid and like, don't know how to navigate these conversations is because the culture also is one of respectability politics where you're just supposed to adhere to the rules, adhere by the dress code. And I mean, that's why like people like Kennedy who right? People are going to have assumptions when they look at him, but his character, he is a nice, kind guy. And I think that even too, when we think about like, of course, (laughs) when we think about like when, whenever, you know, a black person is murdered by the police, what, what comes to light, right. Of their past. And just because they might have done things against the law or they were an outstanding person, either way, it doesn't matter. That was a human life that had value that had worth. And I think a lot of the times, um, at CCS, the culture still kind of has these expectations like, well, they need to be like a certain kind of respectable person in order to be well-liked by the masses. Not to say that it's not good to be a kind and respectable person, but that also doesn't mean on the flip side, someone who, you know, has a quote unquote attitude or, you know, you don't think that they're as nice, you know, there's reasons behind that. And that doesn't mean that their life is any less valuable than the person who is, who appears to be kind and loving and sweet and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think, you can't, um, ass- go, I was just going to briefly say, you can't assume, especially going back to Kennedy and police, right? Like, like if y'all know Kennedy, Kennedy's one of the, the greatest human beings and, and tender y'all, souls y'all, I know. Y'all gotta like, stop like, gassing I'm not, me up, that's, man. That's, 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 that's genuine. Me cry. <laughs> that's genuine. However, however, 
people of color are not the exception. Because right. if Kennedy leaves Charlotte, North Carolina, and goes down to, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, they're not going to know Kennedy. They're not going to see right. Kennedy exactly. as what right. we see. And so, exactly. so you can't think that, you know, because I'm sure y'all were tokenized for the website and marketing. And, you know, hey, here's some donors. Here's here's Mr. Charlotte Kennedy. And, you oh, let's go to our, our international program. And let's just throw Phoebe in there. Why, why? You, you know what I'm saying? Like that. <laughs> that stuff just doesn't work. Exceptionalism is not a real thing for people. And, and, right. and it comes with, uh, I would say deeper, uh, deeper levels of trauma. I, yeah. would, I would almost say being a token comes with a, 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 maybe not deeper, but a different level of trauma that, that I think we gloss over uh, a lot. Yeah, I mean, I was that guy for my small private Christian institution in in college. You know, I've yeah. told the story about how I I transferred in in January. Like most people who uh, transfer to a school in January, like just fall into the unknown. Like three months after being there, I'm in all the promotional video uh, video and material for Spring Arbor mm-hmm. College, switching from college to university. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how do you do that? And it wasn't like there wasn't other black students there, but I carried myself in such a way that it was like, there's our guy. And I became that token black guy for the next three years that I was there. And since that time, I've had to work through The things that I ignored or how I allowed for myself to be used in that way and what it said about the other black students there. Because, hey, it was nice to get the attention and nice to be used for all this stuff and to feel like I, I had a voice. But it, it there was a cost that came with it that I'm only mm-hmm. now really assessing. And, and part of the reason why I'm so passionate about places like Charlotte Christian improving in in this area and and doing better. And, you know, my former church um, as well that I was at for 10 years is because, you know, I was invested in those places. Despite the experience, I was invested in those places because I was invested in the people. So. Right. So how how are y'all taking care of yourself? How are you taking care? How are you processing and dealing with your trauma? How are you taking yourselves now being in majority spaces? And how are you taking care of yourselves as you unlearn and relearn and and, uh, learn more about yourself and and try to establish a new identity? And you don't have to have the answers, but yeah. I mean, and and for me personally, like I am working like I want to become a counselor um when when I grow up (laughs) when I graduate uh go get my master's in counseling and also you know working to also help decolonize that field of study as well but I think um in kind of learning about that and being passionate about that I'm just trying to be more cognizant of how I'm feeling at at any given point. 
because I think a lot of the times, especially as people of color, we, we underestimate our emotions and we can bury them, especially too, right? Like mental health is so stigmatized in not only the black community and the Asian community, any, it's just stigmatized in general, but especially as a person of color, you, you've been told by old, older generations, you know, don't talk about it. It's in your head. Um, and especially, you know, I'm talking, I'm speaking to three men, right? Uh, you're told to, to not have emotions, to not express your emotions, Mm -hmm. but the thing is like, there's nothing more powerful than, you know, being vulnerable with your emotions and allowing yourself to feel the things that you feel. So I think for me, taking care of myself is allowing myself to be frustrated or be depressed or be anxious in that moment. And also realize too, that, that it's temporary. And I think the uh, number one thing that definitely helps is helping with that is just like diving deeper into the word into the Bible, because anything that God has wanted to say to us, it's in there. Right. And there is some sort of verse or passage for any kind of emotion or feeling that we're having. And two, also just reading other things besides the Bible as well, you know, liberation texts and realizing that there were people before us also talking about the same ideas that we're talking about. And they also have different perspectives that we might not have thought about too. And just from, me being an artistic person, like painting more, singing, um, playing an instrument, because those things are really helpful in releasing stress or negative emotions and rushing in endorphins and making you just feel better as well. Uh, for me, man, family has been huge. Um, my my parents have been. Uh, a rock for me and my and a lot of my sisters as well. I think just being able to, uh, as I've grown up, you know, become a man or whatever, you know, with my dad, I think having uh, more sometimes intense conversations, but having deeper conversations about, you know, not just, I want you to come home safe, but having conversations surrounding, you know, why this bothers us and, I think, um, you know, quarantine and, and all of these, um, the, the, the cases that have gone on have, uh, with, with police brutality have allowed for my dad to just and I to have some, some really open and, and difficult conversations um, just about our own experiences. And from his standpoint of having a son that he wants to, to live a long time and for the son's standpoint of, you know, I'm going through this stuff and it's frustrating me and I just want to be able to to live the way that I know God intended for me to. And um, having those conversations has been therapeutic in a sense. Um, I have a guy named Kurt who uh, has been discipling me and just kind of letting me. Um, it's been different, right? We've We've had conversations about you know, things I've struggled with in my life and then just had uh, an hour of me venting about being frustrated at somebody saying something that was off base and ignorant about, you know, the current events and, and things of that nature and being able to, 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 to be listened to and heard and not questioned. Um, mm. I think 
finding people in my life that have allowed me to just express, not explain. Um, yeah, that's good. Has has been it's been a lot. another quotable for the for the for the oh, man just <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you get this yes you know so uh, Jen write it down <laughs> um, it's it's that and you know music is you know Sanchez knows that a lot of people know that music is something that's important to me so um, whether it's been trying to just you know play and and speak into what I'm feeling and, and trying to be honest with God about, you know, the things that have frustrated me. Um, I, I think that's been a, a good place for me praying. And, and like Phoebe said, just, I think a lot of the confidence um, I, I get is from knowing that Jesus didn't, he did it differently. Right. He was, about breaking boundaries. He was, you know, talking to the woman at the well who was a Sumerian woman who on so many levels that was culturally Samaritan's um, lives matter. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And um, you know, just learning, like for me, I'm not gonna lie, that the formative experience for me as a black man was when the Black Panther came out and and seeing yeah. black people not being seeing black people be superheroes and seeing all pretty much an all black cast, right? Seeing yeah. um black not black people, African people, um African American people be celebrated. Um not again, not for the Harlem Renaissance, right? And it's not it's something <laughs> different, right? It's Marvel, right? It's this yeah. is this is popular culture and being right. able to to lean into that and and feel seen in a way that I hadn't been seen before. And, and just be, I think, reminded of the, the people that are doing it the right way. And there are like the, the people right now who are trying and making those strides to, to be better allies has been something that has been so healing for me and feeling like, you know, those days when I feel like the world is against me, God shows me that, no, I have put some people here that are, are listening to me push at their heart. And um, yeah, yeah it, that's been helpful. That that final thing that you said, um, I think is important from this. I mean, Black at Charlotte Christian is meant to be a Instagram feed that centered black voices. But I'm sure you all found it even more affirming than I found it to see the deemed white alumni say what they saw what they observed and affirmed what you all were saying and had experienced. Yeah. It's, it's as though like, we're not crazy. We yeah. didn't make this up. We're not imagining it that even those who are elevated by a society that is made for whiteness are able to see that what we were experiencing wasn't right and that race was playing a role in how we were being treated and engaged. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to yeah. the folks who, you know, yeah. have, have done that, who have spoken up, who've helped yeah. elevate you all's voices and also just say, yo, they're not making this stuff up. Like yeah. I'm a witness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have gone 
typically we stop at 9.30, but this is so great. And I'm, I'm so grateful that y'all uh, took the time. So uh, this podcast will Juice be up. Very soon. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. This podcast will be up. So I'm going to recommend that you go back and re-listen to it because it's something that I believe uh, we all should come back to and revisit. So uh, to Facebook friends, thank you all for listening and we'll see y'all soon. Fam, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys for checking out today's podcast. I, I hope again, stay subscribed, stay locked in. If you're not a Patreon, become a Patreon. This is how we get to do this. We're, we're, we're adding more resources there. We're trying to get people connected. So another way to stay connected within the city of Charlotte is to follow our new nonprofit called It Ends Now Charlotte. Follow us on social media on Instagram as It Ends Now CLT. We've got opportunities for you to learn, for you to grow, whether it's through seminars, whether it's through understanding the history of Charlotte and various things. Now, if you're not from Charlotte, I would encourage you to find ways to get plugged in in your city. I can assure you there are people doing the work right where you live. Maybe, just maybe, you might be called to start something in your own city. Maybe it's, it's It Ends Now Greenville, South Carolina. It Ends Now Raleigh. It Ends Now LA. Wherever you live, take the movement. Take this movement of anti-racism everywhere you go. And again, thank you guys for supporting us. Follow us. Stay in touch. Let us know if you need anything, if you want us to talk about anything, and know that we are here for you. Appreciate your support.